little bit about me. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I uh, was an entrepreneur very early on, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, walking dogs, babysitting, all that sort of stuff. I always had an entrepreneurial flavor uh, to my existence. I always knew I wanted to be the boss. I very early on knew that I didn't want to work for someone. I don't know where that came from. It is uh, a DNA element of entrepreneurs and business owners. They know very early on they're probably not going to be a great employee and they probably have to go do something on their own. I knew that very early on. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking like eight, nine years old. Um, but it became a very messy road for me. I started my uh, primary business when I was 25 years old. I moved to Dallas, Texas. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a friend of a friend. I literally knew no one. And I started in a dumpy little one-bedroom apartment um, with a, as Andrew said, with a phone and a folding table, a folding chair, and a yellow pages. Do you guys know what a yellow pages is? I love it that some people don't know it. A yellow pages is like the early days of the internet. It was a yellow book that would be delivered to your front doorstep. And if you needed a plumber, you would go to the P's and you'd start and pick the plumber that you wanted. And it would start with like A, A plumbing. And then they got smart and said, well, if I change my name to A, A, A plumbing, we'll all rank number one. It was the early days of search engine optimization. And then they got crazy, and it would be AAA plumbing, AAA plumbing, right? So they would rank number one. And I would grab those yellow pages, and I would cold call. I would turn to trucking, or transportation, or construction, and I would cold call. Hundreds of calls a day. You want to buy, you want to buy, you want to buy, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy, want to buy. It's what I ended up sort of coining the, the, the term making money not making money. Making money, not making money. That's how it went. And then, um, and then I, I went broke. Whatever little bit of money I had, which was not much, under $1,000 I started the company, I lost it all. My car got repossessed. You guys know what getting a car repossessed means? Somebody tell me what that means. So you can't pay your car payment, so the bank or whatever bank you wanted to will come in with a tow truck, take it to them. That's exactly what happened. I watched the whole thing happen out my, my dumpy little one-bedroom apartment. I watched them pick my car up and drive it away. Remember, I didn't have a friend of a friend. I hardly had a client. I had no money. And my only mode of transportation just got taken. Yeah. What were you selling? Good question. I was selling f the same thing that our company sells today, financing for big rigs, the big trucks that go up and down the highways, okay? So those trucks are expensive and people need financing for that. Very rarely does someone stroke a check for those big trucks. They need financing. And I saw very early on that that was fairly dominated by big publicly traded banks. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, BB&T, GE Capital, they were dominating that space. And I said, you know what, if those guys are doing $3 billion a year, if Wells Fargo, by the way, last year Wells Fargo did $3.5 billion in just big rig financing, just that, not to mention all the other things they finance, I said, boy, there's got to be some crumbs left over, right? There's got to be like some deals that they don't care about. There's got to be some customers that they don't care about. What if I went and found those customers? Would they want to do their financing with me? Okay, that was my business model. The car uh, got repossessed. I want to tell you guys something too. There, there, you know, those dark days that I might be describing to you guys, this, does anybody ever, you know, if any of your family's ever had a car repossessed? No kidding, man. My brother. Yeah, he was, <laughs> not, yeah, he, 
that was a bad. Yeah, he just couldn't pay off, so he got upset. Well, thank you for admitting that, my yeah. man. That's cool of you to admit that. Long story short, I walked to the gas station. There was a little gas station on the corner, a Shell gas station. Shell, you know what I'm talking about, the, yeah. the Shell? And I had a gas card. And on that gas card, I had a $40 credit limit. And I bought $40 worth of milk and frosted flakes. And I walked back to that apartment and I said, this is not how my life finishes. I'm capable of more. I'm going to fix it. And then I went from making 100 cold calls a day to 200 cold calls a day. And that didn't go on for a day or a week, guys. I'm talking that went on for years. Finding it. How am I going to turn this business around? How am I going to turn this business into something? And I'm proud to say that not just of my efforts, but the efforts of my team. Last year we did 160 million. Okay. We've done close to $2 billion since I started. We're probably the largest independent finance company in that space um, in the country. And uh, that is not my doing, it is the doing of the, my team that I built and the people that I work with. But the reason I tell you that is that anything is possible. I didn't go to a fancy college, I went to school to be a chef. I had no interest in business. It was the only school I got into. It was the only school I applied to. My father never took, who's seniors in here? Your parents take you to colleges? Raise your hand if your parents have taken you on a college tour. Your parents talk to you about college? They tell you how important it is? My father never mentioned it to me one time. Neither did my mother, neither did my friend's father, neither did an uncle, nobody. Never talked to me about it one time. I applied to one school, I got in, that's where I went, I went to go be a chef. My point in telling you that story is it doesn't really matter where you come from, it matters where you're going. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Some of the most successful people I know have no pedigree whatsoever. I'm not telling you that college doesn't matter. I think in a lot of ways college does matter, but what I am telling you is that there's very little difference in business between that person who has an MBA from Harvard and that person who has a bachelor's degree from Johnson & Wales in culinary arts, which is what I have, okay? The reason I'm here talking about money is because Bradley and Sam did something that most people don't do. They already understand the importance of pushing and following up and taking action. I'm not sure how many times we reached out and we talked on social, two, three, four, five times. And then Sam came to an event that I had in February. And then somehow Bradley got in the mix. How many times? You banged me, what, five, six emails, something like that? Right? Seven emails. Okay. That's what it takes to get somebody's attention who's already busy. Okay. But the reality is I want to help you guys understand a few things about business today and about money um, that I would guarantee you outside of this club is not being taught. No one talks about it. By the way, I don't mean to disrespect anyone's family situation. It ain't being talked about at home either. Okay? Nobody's talking about money and how important it is. And the reason that money is important, I want to be clear on this, it is important really for only two reasons. And the first reason is because it provides financial security for you, your loved ones, your friends. And the second reason is that it buys you time. You own a version of the one thing that most people can never buy, your time. There's nothing more valuable than my time. Where I spend it, doing what, with who. And if you can put yourself in a position where you can live a life in which I only do what I want with the people that I like to do it, doing the stuff that we like to do, 
You just bought some time. But you don't do it without money. None of the two reasons I said connect to Lambos or Jets or houses. None of it. That has nothing to do with why I want money and why money is important to me. But if it is to you, go for it, man. You want a garage full of Lambos? I support you 100%. Pick me up, right? I'm down with that. But my version of money is connected to those two things, which led to the book, which this book was never inside me. Some people, maybe some of you have an interest in writing. Do you got anybody in here like to write? Awesome. Anybody want to write a book? Write that book, man. That book didn't live in me. I had no interest in writing a book, period, end of story. But uh, Johnny Boy's uncle, uh, John, John's mom, my wife, her only brother, um, was diagnosed with cancer at age 46. And he died one year later, and he left his wife and four children with no health insurance, no life insurance, and 100 bucks in a bank. And during that period of time after he got sick, to when he passed, our family covered all his bills, from soup to nuts. And that reinvigorated me into why we need more money, which then led to me writing a little story about it, which then got picked up by a firm in New York, and they said, boy, that was a good story, man. You ought to turn that into a book. I said, man, I already wrote a book. It was a self-published book. I'm not interested in writing books. They're like, no, this is a story that needs to be told. This is an epidemic in America. You need to flush this out. And so I began to do a lot of research on the topic of money and what it looks like in America, and I agreed with them. It is an epidemic in, in America. The lack of money is an epidemic in America. And the fact of what happened to Johnny Boy's uncle and my brother-in-law, John's mom, my wife's brother, um, happens every day. People are just totally unprepared with their money. Um, and so I wrote the book. I wrote the story, and the story got bought by a publisher in New York called Penguin Random House, if anybody's familiar with that company. And, um, and this book came out last year, and it's been a, uh, a very successful book. Uh, it's helping, I don't know, thousands of people. Every single day I get an email from somebody who says, I read your book, and I went out and I did what you said that I was supposed to do, and it's helped my life. Um, so what's interesting is, my life was all about business and growing something from nothing, right? And being a taker in the world, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It might sound like a bad thing, but it's not. Sooner or later, you've got to go out in the marketplace and take your piece of American pie. You've got to go get it. But what's odd is the second half of my life has almost nothing to do with that. It has me now as a giver, giving information, time with you guys, strategies, stories, hope, right? So that's the story of the book. But what brings me here today, I think, is to give you guys a little bit of insight on, on what money is all about, how do we make it, how could you guys make right choices, and really maybe what are some of the things that you guys could be doing right now. The first thing I would tell you is I could congratulate every single one of you for being here, to be in a finance club, whether you're totally committed to the club or not, I guarantee you're being exposed to some topics that other people aren't. Just think about it. how many kids in this school? 700. 700. 1,400, and we got what? 12 in this room? 15? How many are in the room? Count it up. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 people in this room. How many did we say? 1,416? 
Anybody want to throw out a percentage on that? Right? Dude, it's a finance club. Come on, man. Somebody bust out a calculator and figure that out for me real quick. Less than 1%. Fine. Close enough. So less than 1% of people are focused on... 0.01%. Perfect. 0.01% of people are focused on money at this school. Right? Welcome to the world, y'all. That same percentage will play itself out in the real world. Most of the people you'll come in contact with will have no concept of money, how to go get it, what to do with it, or why they should have it in the first place. Okay? So I'm here to tell you a very controversial statement. I think money matters. You guys might think it's horrible. You might go home and tell your parents, man, this guy came in and talked to us, and he told me money really matters. It don't matter to me because I'm on a mission. What I saw happen to our family should never happen to somebody. And what I saw our ability to do by dropping in and helping him with money should happen to everybody. Everybody should have that opportunity to have enough money to help a family who needs it and it won't impact you one iota. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? That's the power of money. That's why you want it. So how do you go get it? How do you be 18 years old going off to Baylor? Where's everybody going to school? You're going to Baylor. Baylor. Awesome. TCU. OU. SMU. Arkansas. Awesome. Okay, got it. You guys are going off, man. You're going to go do some great things. The question is, why are we going to do that? What's the desired outcome? Make money. Maybe. Thumbs up, dude. You're talking to the right guy on that. I'm with my peeps right now, if that's the case. But some of you may. You want to go into business to, to run a successful business to support yourself? Well, I, by heart, I want to be an engineer and I want to end up building prosthetics, but I want to make sure that that business is financially stable more than anything. Okay, so you want to be an entrepreneur in that space. Okay, how about you, Andrew? Learn more about the industry I want to go into. Okay. You want to be in investment banking? Yeah. Awesome. Provide more opportunity than those that you're competing against to get a job at. And do you want to do that through business? Okay. So here's what I tell you the reason you go to college for. One reason and one reason only. Contacts. Because what you learn in college is not really what, they're gonna, what you're going to need when you get out. Unless you're going to be a brain surgeon. Okay? Then I want to know you went to Harvard. Okay? But if you're going into college for business, you should reframe your thought process of what you're trying to wring out of that college experience. And what you're trying to wring out of it is friendships and contacts and networking. So I'm gonna give you the first big takeaway for today. The number one skill set that this group should be working on is the ability of no judgment. The ability to look at everyone on a clean slate. Not to see color, not to see material goods. The only exchange you should be looking for is do I like this person and can we exchange ideas? Everything else should be dropped. I wanna point out a couple things to you. I'm a white guy. Billy is with me in the office, right? Billy's got dreads and tats. Z's an Asian guy, right? I see that stuff because he's they're with me today. But when it comes to the hiring process and the value that they bring to me and the value that I bring to them, dude, it's a, I don't see nothing. I don't see anything. I see a person that can help me and me the ability to help somebody else. That's the number one skill set you guys should develop. The ability of no judgment. Let me explain why. Because the geekiest dude at your school 
is probably the next Billy. I didn't mean Billy Weems. I meant Billy as in billionaire. It will not be the captain of the football team. And it will not be the head of the cheerleading team. I can promise you guys that right now. The richest people will most likely be the people that were outsiders in high school. And you want to get connected with them. Just look at it. Zucks wasn't the most popular guy in high school. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mark Zuckerberg? Bill Gates wasn't the most popular guy in high school. Steve Jobs wasn't the most popular guy in high school, right? And the reason that those people end up doing things is because they don't have distraction. They actually don't have the distraction of being popular or being cool or being already so supported. You know what they're building? They're building grit and toughness and focus. And that is a massive element of people's success. The ability to stay tough and stay gritty. It's the same thing that happens when your car gets repossessed and you're down to 40 bucks on milk and frosted flakes. It has nothing to do whether you were good in sports in high school, right? It had to do, do you have the toughness to pull it out? So I would challenge you guys right now, as my first takeaway for you guys is develop the skill set of no judgment. The ability to see everyone on the same playing field. Because let me tell you something, if you walk down the hall and you are the person in high school that's really nice to that geeky dude, who everybody else ostracizes and doesn't invite him or her to parties and stuff like that, doesn't care about that dude, that guy's got something going on in his head right now, I promise you. And you know where else that's happening? All over the world. Same thing's happening in China. It's happening in Argentina. And it's happening in Russia. Let me tell you guys something. Russia and China are coming for us. Those kids are not buried in Facebook, or for you guys, Instagram, or Snap. Those guys are buried in textbooks. The distractions that we're living with, they are not living with. You know what they're looking for? Anybody with a guess of what kid in China or kid in Russia is looking for? Looking for the the American dream. I want what America's got. And they're coming for it. So you guys have a tougher environment to compete against. Okay? Just ask yourself, do you think it's easier today to open up a coffee shop than it was 20 years ago? It's much harder. Why? There's public And who is it? Who is it? It's Starbucks. Gents, what's up? Let me ask you a question. You think it's harder to open up a hamburger stand today than it was 25 years ago? Yes. Why? Name them. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, whatever. Let me ask you this question. You think it's harder to start a landscaping company than it was 20 years ago? Of course. Guys, there are barrier of entries to everything, which is my second takeaway for you guys today, which is what platform are you going to choose? What are you going to study in school? And then what industry, I call it platform, what career path are you going to take afterwards? So let's go around the room. Who's thinking about doing what? You're going into investment banking. You're going into prosthetics. prosthetics. I like that. Housing. Housing. Give me the detail. What do you mean by housing? Um, buying and renting out houses. Okay, real estate. Private equity, two private equity guys. All right, how about you, Bradley? Private equity. equity. Anybody else know what you think you might want to do? You want to be a doctor. Love it. Awesome. Anybody else? How about you guys? You know what you're going to do in your career path in life? What's your life going to look like, dude? An engineer? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Real estate development. Cool. So we hear a lot of that. I actually get some duplicates, career paths in here. Why do you guys pick these? What makes you want them? Okay, hold on. Looks fun, a lot of money? All right. 
Like with banking, it requires a certain person, and I believe I have those traits that I'll be able to be successful in the field, and you know, and I want to use the skills that I've learned growing up and prosper. Okay. How about Bradley? What do you think? Why do you think that industry is the right, the platform is the right pl place for you? I like working with investors in different sectors, you know, in private equity. So, you know, like whether that's like commercial real estate or something else, you know, really like working with customers. Okay, so that opens up a lot of different areas for you. Sam, what about you? Why'd you say private equity? Uh, one of my mentors, uh, I've grown up with him. Yeah. And he's in private equity, and I've been exposed to that ever since I was in elementary. And he's kind of, I've, I've grown with his, his little business into what it is now. Yeah. So under his mentorship, I've been able to be there, and he also really likes me, and he knows that I'm a very moral person. Okay. Like, just having honest people in that industry is, is what it needs. Okay. So you want to be the face of change in private equity. You want, to, you want to contribute in that regard, or you just want to make a ton of money? Okay. Very noble causes. How many people, when I ask that question, are like, damn, I don't have an answer for this guy. Like, I don't have any idea what I want to do. Yeah, raise him high, man. Bit, yeah. Raise it high. Who else? Good. Two, three, four, five. Come on, that's a little bit more like it, right? What I would tell you is not to sweat it. I don't think it matters yet. I think for those of you that have some direction, I think it's great. I would stay in that lane if you want, but don't be afraid to zigzag a little bit. It's all about zigzags. Because what we're learning is how to get along with people, how to not have judgment. And the third big takeaway for you guys is to begin to understand who the heck you are. What do you really stand for? What are you willing to tolerate and what are you not willing to tolerate? Who are you willing to let into your room, what I call, I'll use a concept from my business finishing school, in which um, we call it the doorman principle, right? In essence, once you create your core values, what you stand for, what's important to you in your life, you basically install a doorman in front of it. Everybody understand what I mean by a doorman? Picture a big fancy apartment complex or a hotel. The guy says you get in or you don't get in. A nightclub bouncer says no, you don't look cool enough, you're not in tonight, right? That person protects those core values. And it's not a bad thing for you guys even at this age to begin to think about that. Who am I gonna let into my room? Because once that person gets into their room, it can be very, very messy. And very difficult to get that person out. We don't have that choice in our families. But outside of that, we pretty much have that choice. We have that choice with the companies we choose to go work for, the coworkers we choose to work with, the teammates that we choose to have, and, um, and certainly with the friends that we, we take, okay? Thank you, Sam. So we're running out of time here. Wow, we're moving quick. Okay. I wanna open it up uh, to questions um, right now for you guys, and then I wanna do this quick exercise with you. I wanna leave you with 10 things that I wish I knew when I was 18 years old. Yeah. So my question would be, in a new era where everyone's connected through social media online, you mentioned earlier about people who are feeding into this distraction thing, and people are always comparing themselves to another version of, of what they want to be on social media or whatever. How do you, and you talk about it in your book, The Grit that I read, how do you change those comparative negative thoughts to the empowering ones that you talk about in Grit? Yeah, everybody understands Sam's question? I mean, I think it's a big challenge, right? I mean, look, I'm on social a lot, right? It's a problem. I'm 50 years old. There's no reason for me to be on social media, trust me. But social to me is a tool. You know what kind of tool it is? 
free. It don't cost me nothing. I can pump all the content I want to any industry I want. I can create target audiences. I can select truckers and transportation companies and towing companies. I can focus on my ideal customer. You know how much it costs me? Nothing. Social is a tool for me. That's all it is. For some people, it's a lifestyle. It's an addiction. I will go so far as to say it is an addiction. So here's my answer to Sam. I would tell you, you get really clear on your core values and what you stand for and the life that you want to lead and live, and then don't lay off those distractions. I'm fortunate enough to know a couple billionaires. And let me tell you a primary, inalienable fact about uber rich people. They have unbelievable focus. Their distractions are minuscule. When they lock and load on something, they are all in. When we're doing this all day, I'm not trying to beat the drum, guys. I'm not trying to be the people that tell you don't do that stuff. But I'm telling you, when you're doing this and you're watching a fight, or you're watching two people argue, or you're watching you know, a lion walk up behind a guy and attack him except there's a you know, clear uh, wall there. You know what I'm talking about. We've all seen these videos, right? There's some guy someplace else who's only in a book doing exactly what it is that they know they want for their future. This is an unbelievable waste of time and skill and potential. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do some of it. Find out what's going on in your friends and your family lives. But if your day starts with where is it and I need to do this, I can already tell you you're one step away from catching big money. The big money is not doing that. The big money is doing this with only a feed that's of interest to where they want to go. Any other questions? I want to finish five minutes. Yo. Um, if, if you had to choose one other career path, what would it's a great question. I am choosing another career path right now. The second half of my life will be teaching, writing, speaking. Uh, so I am in that. I actually believe that was a calling of mine from the beginning. Um, but I would have chosen private equity, no questions asked. There is no questions. I would have chosen private equity, and I'd be rolling around in a jet. Your core values when you started your company, did they grow and change as your company grew as well, or did you stick to them? Dude, that is such a powerful statement, and I already know. It, by the way, it's somewhat connected to your desired career path. If you can connect those two dots, I can connect them for you right now and tell you that's already a superpower of yours. Um, we had no core values. The only core value when I started the company was to make money and survive. Then I had a wife and three boys, and it was feed the kids. Okay? Our core values really only started in the mid-2000s, and then in 2015, I did something that's called torching the company. I literally tore the company down and rebuilt it only on core values. And that is the only thing I do. My sole role at Commercial Fleet right now, that company I started all those years ago, is the keeper of the culture. That is my job. All I do is make sure that the company culture is upheld. I don't process deals. I don't hire people anymore. All I do is make sure that, we, that that company is in existence to, to live our core values. Okay, let's keep rolling. Your biggest regret. My biggest regret? Hmm. Uh, my biggest regret is that I didn't uh, reach out for help. Uh, very f true fact for those of you who want to be entrepreneurs, and it's an extreme, you're, you're on an island all by yourself. And you think you're the only one that thinks the way you think. And the reality is lots of other people think and they actually can help you. So I didn't build a network. I was very um, uh, single-minded and I didn't work my network. Um, and, and that was a mistake. It probably cost me a decade of my success not understanding how to stay close with friends, 
how to network with people, how to exchange ideas. I just felt that I had to push the rock up the hill all by myself. Do you believe that the only way to stand out from the sea of like-minded people that you don't believe exist but do would be to acknowledge their existence and try and network with them to help yourself get up? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Absolutely. I, th I, think, I think what you're asking is, um, is it important to stay connected with like-minded people to help yourself? Is that what you're saying? Yes, pretty much. Dude, it's the only way you begin to look into yourself when you can see someone that's going through the same things as you. Now that it is the digital age, the best, easiest way of doing that is through the free tools that you were talking about. I think it's great, but we have to control what we take in, right? So unfortunately, to get to that like-minded person, especially in an entrepreneurial business world, it's such a small percentage. You've got to go through 90 some odd percent of stuff before you find that one. Now, what I would suggest to you, and Bradley and I were talking about some people that I follow, um, and I'm not suggesting these guys to you, but I, you know, I only follow a few people. I'm just not interested in taking it. I unfollow tons of people. Why? Because I want to control my feed. I want to control what comes in. If somehow Facebook pushes me that, that fight that happens in the parking lot at some car show, I don't know if anyone saw that one recently, right? That immediately gets deleted from me, right? How did that get in my world? How did that distraction come my direction? I don't want those distractions. I want total focus on my lifestyle by design, my purpose, where am I going? What else we got? Yo. I'm really interested in administration. So yeah. As an entrepreneur, I wanted to ask what you think the biggest trait for a leader is. For a leader? Yes. Um, you know, a, a leader has to lead by example. Leadership does not occur through, through vocal. It occurs through doing. So a great leader is one who plays on the field and also plays in the, in the workplace. You've got to know how to do what you're doing and what you're trying to lead your Can people. Just add on that. Do you believe in servantile leadership, you know, serving your employees? Does everyone understand the question? What was your first name again? Stone. It's an unbelievable question, Stone. You get a book for that question. Good job, Stone. Does everybody understand what Stone's talking about, servant leadership? I can tell you I never understood a word about it, never cared about it. Didn't matter to me. Anybody told me about servant leadership, I said, you're a loser. You, you, you're not my kind of leader, dude. Leader is iron fist, demand the greatness of your people. Our entire company is about servant leadership now. Servant leadership is the movement. It's an, everybody should be looking up servant leadership when, when we break today. And you want to move in that direction. The downside to servant leadership is that if you don't set it up properly, it won't be received by your staff properly. They won't understand that you're trying to feed into them and that you care about them because they may have come from such a violent, terrible background or a terrible organization that they won't understand how good you're being to them. Does that make sense? So it has to be culturally that we feed into our people as leaders. We don't take from our people. Really important. I'm telling you, servant leadership is going to be a major topic to be able to, that you're even asking that question is a perfect indication of what's happening in the, in the workforce. People are looking for what Stone just talked about, right? The days of my leadership, which was beat the place with a stick, everyone's going to do it my way, those days are gone. Nobody wants to work with that guy, right? Boiler Room, anybody seen that movie, Boiler Room? No? That sort of stuff. Anybody else? Okay, so you said a little bit earlier that you were like on an island, you know, <coughs> Obviously in life we have to have like conversation with people, you know, meet up, network. How do you not come across as like being selfish or arrogant, you know? You're just trying to be successful. Super questions, man. Really great, great question. I'll give you a book for that one too, buddy. That's a great question. <clears throat> 
So, you know, the topic of really what you're getting to is the level of humility. <clears throat> humility does come from uh, confidence in your work ethic, knowing that you will put in the work to be successful. It's a huge element of confidence. Well, just look from our sports guys here. Those who spent the most time doing wall ball feel the most confident and actually sometimes the most humble on the field. Same thing happens in the workplace. When you're networking up, there's nothing better than humility. Let me explain why. I hope I don't come across gruff here. The only reason, <clears throat> the only person you're fooling when you're trying to network up, and by the way, when you're picking a network, a, a mentor or a network to be part of, it must be super higher than where you are. It's not called networking when you're hanging out with people at your level. You must mentor and network way high. They see your BS coming. You're the only guy in the room who doesn't see it. Does that make sense? You walk into a super successful guy and you start puffing your chest and your company's four days old. You don't see it, but they do. And what they're looking for is not your success, dude. They're already successful. You know what they're looking for? Humility. They want you to fall on the sword and say, I don't know what I don't know. Can one of you help me? And that's when the greats come out. And they're like, of course. Can't wait to help you. In fact, I wish I did it, right? It was, who has the biggest regret? That's my point. I wish that I had fallen on the sword early in my career, but I felt like I had to impress everybody. I had a company that just had the car repossessed and I was walking around like it was a great company, right? It's ridiculous. Cost me a decade of my success. Let's keep rolling. Yo. So as an entrepreneur, like if you, if you have an idea, but the idea has already been done, yeah. do you just try to do it better or do you try to find a new idea? Or like, what do you, what do, you do with that? Yeah. Super, super question. You do have to find the problem that exists, and that opens up doors. Um, if you're not solving a big problem, there is no reason to go into the business. There's only two reasons to go into business. I'll leave you guys with this if we don't have time to get to this. I'll give this as a handout for you guys. There's only two reasons to go into business. The first reason that you want to go into business is because you have the ability to solve a unique problem that you don't think is being solved in the marketplace. Does everybody follow me on that? That's the only reason. If you're going to go into business to compete against Starbucks, it's a horrible idea. But if there's a problem that exists within that supply chain or in that process or that service or that customer experience within Star Starbucks and you can solve that, that's a reason to go into it. The second reason you want to go into business is when the market is so big that there are crumbs left over. And that's what I chose to do in my business. I said large publicly traded banks financing vehicles at billions of dollars a year, I can pull 100 million out of it, okay? There is no reason to go in to be like the dominator. You have to solve the problem or you have to look for the crumbs that the big guys don't even care about anymore. That's my version of why you wanna go into business. Because let me tell you, what else happens is I'm gonna go into business for myself because I hate working for somebody else and the boss is a jerk and so I'm gonna start my own thing you end up with a nightmare that 20 million small business owners in America experience. You guys can go anywhere in South Lake and know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever walk into a place and you're like, hello, like a little service here, anybody? That guy's experiencing the nightmare of small business that I'm talking about, okay? It happens everywhere. You do not want to be that person, okay? What else we got, anything else? I'm gonna pass this out real quick because I know we're short on time. Just pass these out and I'm gonna just walk through these with you real quick. I wrote this down this morning specifically for you guys. At 18 years old, I wish I knew this stuff. Top 10 things I wish I knew when I was 18. <clears throat> Are we gonna get a bell, Sam? Uh, no, sir. Okay, so give me our time, what do we got? Three minutes, two minutes, behind, over? We've got like a couple minutes. 
All right, here we go. I'm going to go real quick. The top 10 things I wish I knew when I was your age, and hopefully one of these resonates with you guys, and maybe you'll take some action to move in this direction. The first thing is, I wish I understood how to be a great lifelong friend. I wish I understood that better, that the relationships that are being built here right now or have already been built in your life, you want to find a few of those that you can carry on for the rest of your life. Super vital. No one at the end is going to care about your Lambo, but they are going to care if you showed up as a good friend. Okay? The second thing is, is this development of your core values. What do you stand for? What are you willing to tolerate? Most of us never understand that. Most of us as adults don't understand it. We're just basically living somebody else's values. Take the time to get into that. I think your generation is really kind of dialed into that. And I would challenge everybody here, focus more time on that. Number three, learn to learn. You gotta like learning. You gotta read a lot. The smartest people you're gonna come in contact with, the richest people you're gonna come in contact with, they may not be highly educated, but they are highly intelligent. And they become intelligent because of what they learn. The information that they consume, they have learned to learn. Number four, pick a hero. I can tell you with my son in the room, I never had a hero. My entire life. Wasn't my father, wasn't a coach, wasn't an uncle, wasn't a friend's dad, nobody. Never had a hero my entire life. Warren Buffett, we all know who Warren Buffett is? Warren Buffett says, show me who your hero is and I'll show you how your life turns out. When I heard him say that, I got thinking, I said, I never had a hero my whole life. Nobody that I emulated, nobody that I wanted to be. I challenge you guys now, go find a hero. Number whatever that is, four or five, find a mentor. Sam's already got a mentor. A couple things on mentorship, I'm gonna give it to you real quick. Mentors must be more successful than you. I already told you that. Number two, they must not have addictions. Sounds a little weird, right? No, I'm dead serious. If that guy drinks too much, if that guy smokes too much, if that guy does something that you don't like, that mentor has to be out. You will never get clarity from somebody that has an addiction. And the last thing is, the mentor's lives and advice must align entirely with your core values. Otherwise, they can't be your mentor. Okay, so Sam, I have a feeling that yours checks most of those boxes. Um, you gotta understand how money works. And I know we probably talked a little bit more about mindset and life today versus actually how money works. I'm happy to come back and talk more about that, but you gotta understand how money works. And here's how money works, real simple, real straight. Money works for you, you don't work for it. That's how money works, okay? That's how it plays out. Money must be put in a position to work for you, otherwise you are working for it. I say it with love in my heart. You guys won't quite understand what I'm talking about until you probably get into the workforce and you'll understand that. Money's sole purpose in life, it has no emotion to it. Money's sole purpose in life is to be used to work for you, not you to work for it. Do you want to be the entrepreneur or you want to be the entrepreneur? <clears throat> you will have to make that decision at some point in your life. Allow me to explain real quick. It gets much more difficult to be an entrepreneur older you get. When you have three boys and a wife, it becomes much more difficult to be an entrepreneur and therefore you're gonna to have to pick sooner or later. My challenge to you is I wouldn't spend much time in your uh, college career worrying about that. I probably wouldn't even start sweating until I was about 25, 26, 27 years old. I'd be working in various businesses. I'd probably have a job every year in different industries, 22, 23, 24, 25. By the time you're 26, 27, you already start to figure out where that problem is that you can come on in and solve, boom, there's your entrepreneurial journey. Okay? If that hasn't happened to you, by the time you're probably in your mid-30s, it's going to be a little bit harder. I was lucky. I started my company at 25. I had no money. I had no bills. That's okay. 
right? Let's keep rolling real quick. Think big. You got to look for big problems to solve. Here's why. Winners find a way to win. Always. Winners find a way to win. The problem is sometimes winners pick too small of problems. And so you win, you climb the hill, and then you look back and you're like, man, that's all I achieved? I should have thought bigger. Winners find a way to win. So if you think big, winners will find a way to achieve big. The problem with most people is we think too small, myself included. We have thought too small. I should have thought to be about a billion dollar finance company, not a hundred million dollar finance company, right? Start big, you will find a way to win. Sam, let me just knock to it, I got two left. Focus deeply, I already mentioned that to you. Common trait of super uber rich people, they have an incredible ability to focus. They do not live in distractions. They live in their focus. And then the last thing, I'll finish with a story. A buddy of mine uh, recently sold his company. I watched him build it from scratch in a different industry. And, um, um, and he sold it for big money. Gobs and gobs of money. You can't spend what he sold it for. And I took him out to lunch to congratulate him. And I said, why do you think you did it? I mean, I, why have so many people started small and never done what you did. Why, why did it happen for you? And he said one word, and I said what? Profit, leadership, servant leadership? He said no, love. He says I loved everybody I worked for, they loved for me, we loved on our clients, our clients loved us back. He said the only reason it happened was because of love. And so I challenge you guys to incorporate love into your business careers. It is not a four letter word, in fact, According to Stone, which I agree completely, this servant leadership, this ability to love on your people will become far more important in your careers than it was in mine. That's all I got for you all today, all right? That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.